Sure. Yeah. Hi, I'm Cam. And I'm Katie. And I'm Chris. And this is the Nerd Book Review. Today, we're going to have a three-person episode. We got Katie and Chris. Katie, how are you? It's been a while since you've been on. Yeah, doing okay. Mostly just feeling like garbage because I got a parasite living inside of my body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. Just living out my own uh, (laughs) grimdark fantasy right here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. We already know uh, that giant babies are running the family. Our first one was 10 pounds, and usually the second one's bigger. Oof. So Mm -hmm. anyhow, good luck. (laughs) <laughs> glad it's you not me see you in three months <laughs> <laughs> anywho chris how have you been i've been great not a whole lot has changed with me i'm uh i'm parasite free can you hear the dogs <laughs> on mine god i don't I, I shouldn't be able to hear the dogs okay. on yours you're, you're way they're way too far okay it takes a brand level yell to hear mm. um <laughs> so you haven't gotten gone swimming gotten any giardia nothing like that nope Nope, no, uh, no <laughs> ringworm, no, uh, yeah. It's a good summer then. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty then. Well, today, <laughs> today we are going to be reviewing The Poppy War by R.F. Kwong. Uh, it's Rebecca is her first name, but her on the book it says R.F. Kwong, so I guess we can go either way. You want to do it? Um, let's just, uh, I'll give you the book stats before Chris reads the book blurb. The book was released in May of this year. That's uh, 2018, in case you are listening to this later on. In the future. In the future. <laughs> it is 544 hardcover pages long. It was published by Harper Voyager. This is Kwong's debut novel. Uh, she was born in China, immigrated to the United States when she was four. This book actually came out a few days before she graduated from Georgetown University. Uh, I'm pretty sure that a few days before I was graduating from the college of idaho i was recovering from a hangover and by drinking by drinking yeah, that, that was pretty much every day before you graduated That's, and many after and, and yes and for a few years afterwards so uh yeah she's clearly uh, doing something right with her life if she's accomplishing already got a, a little bit more yeah if she has at least a three book deal with harper voyager at 22 <laughs> um she also will be attending uh, cambridge university next year on a marshall scholarship she is a Chinese studies major, um, as the book will uh, let us know, and it will be uh, pertinent to what she is doing. Mm-hmm. Chris, would you be so kind as to read the Goodreads blurb? Yes. When Rin aced the Keju, the empire-wide test to find the most talented youth to study at the academies, it was a shock to everyone. To the test officials who couldn't believe a war orphan from Rooster Province could pass without cheating, to Rin's guardians who always thought they'd be able to marry Rin off to further their criminal enterprise, and to Rin herself, who realized she was now finally free of the servitude and despair that had made up her daily existence. That she got into Sinagard, the most elite military school in the Nakara Empire, was even more surprising. But surprises aren't always good. Being a dark-skinned peasant girl from the south is not an easy thing at Sinagard. Rin is targeted from the outset by rival classmates because of her color, poverty, and gender. Driven to desperation, she discovers she possesses a lethal, unearthly power, an aptitude for the nearly mythical arts of shamanism. Exploring the depths of her gift with the help of a seemingly insane teacher and psychoactive substances, 
Rin learns that gods long thought dead are very much alive, and that mastering control over her powers could mean more than just surviving school. For even though the Nakara Empire is at peace, the Federation of Mugen still lurks across a narrow sea. The militarily advanced Federation occupied the Nakara Empire for decades after the First Poppy War, and only barely lost the continent in the Second. And while most of the people in the Empire would rather forget their painful history, a few are aware that a third poppy war is just a spark away. Rin's shamanic power may be the only way to save her people, but as she finds out more about the god who has chosen her, the vengeful phoenix, she fears that winning the war may cost her her humanity, and it may already be too late. Well done, Chris. Thank, Thank you. you. That was in one take. We did not do any editing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, as per usual, my quick take a fantasy reimagining of China beginning in the decades before the outbreak of World War II. Chris, Katie? Oh, that, that hits it right on the head. Yeah. Yep. Much more succinct. <laughs> yes. Mm. Katie, what are your first thoughts of the book? What? <laughs> That's pretty on the spot there. <laughs> All right. Chris. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been preparing. <laughs> Chris, um, initial thoughts. So you have this, uh, this story is essentially split into three pieces. Uh, the first, uh, it's approximately 40% of the book is, uh, is Rin, our main character, uh, as a, what would you say? Tween early teens. Yeah. I think that she's 14 when she goes off to Synagogue. Okay. Uh, so it's, it, it kind of begins with her, uh, practicing for the test to get uh, to get into one of the academies. She finds out that she gets into the best one. And then uh, and then sort of the uh, almost fish out of water yeah, school learning uh, uh, part of it. Yeah, think like Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry, with, Harry uh, Potter or even Ender's Game. Yeah, and I haven't seen Ender's Game or read Ender's Game. Ah, okay. um, but like so think we're we're uh, what's the mean kid in Harry Potter again? Draco. Malfoy. Malfoy. Yeah. yeah. So basically, she's Harry Potter, and everybody else except for like one or two people are Malfoy. <laughs> they're all <laughs> yeah. they're all mean and rich and uh, nobility, and they want her to know that she doesn't belong. Basically, that's that what that first forty percent of the story is. Yeah. Yep. And but just so that we, sorry, Katie, were you about to say something? Oh. Okay. You look like you were. Um, just before we uh, get going on this any farther, this is clearly not a YA novel, though. Um, no, it, we, uh, it sounds like it uh, just from that description. Yeah. Uh, but it uh, it it opens up where you almost could think it is, but then it quickly escalates into not. Oh yeah, this is like rated R with NC seventeen scenes in it yeah yeah it's uh it almost goes from philosopher's stone to deathly hollows in <laughs> in the story just kind of escalating as each one and then goes yeah it would be deathly hollows if they described every single murder that Voldemort yeah. <laughs> committed in graphic detail right <laughs> yes and uh so i guess like clearly like my first like just thought is this thing is incredibly graphic and incredibly violent um there are a lot of rapes. There are a lot of uh, people murdered, uh, including babies. Mm -hmm. And it will be gra it'll be graphic, and it's going to be uncomfortable at times. There's, I mean, <laughs> there. There's um, one infamous 
chapter yeah. in it that just I, I don't know about you guys, 21. but I had to yeah, chapter twenty one and I just had to set the book down and kind of go watch a comedy and Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it's uh uh Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty graphic. Yeah. So, but as we've mentioned, that it's a, the fantasy reimagining of uh, China just before World War II. Uh, the that chapter twenty one that uh, that I mentioned and that Chris was talking about, where he had to set it down, is actually the like a fantasy reimagining of the rape of Nanking. Um, this is a historical event that actually happened. Uh, the uh, imperial forces of Japan sacked what was then the capital of China, Nanking, uh, Nanjing, I think is how Yeah, Nanjing. I think what I saw was that uh, Nan means south, and Mm. Jing means capital. So it was the south capital, and then Bay means north, and Jing means... There we are. That was an interesting thing that I ran into and learned. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's really sweet. Um, So yeah, so it became the wartime capital of China, when Japan in the decade before World War II was actually taking over China, or large swaths of it anyways. And over a period of about six weeks, they murdered somewhere between 200 and 300,000 people in the city, mostly civilians. Uh, they raped and then brutally like mutilated tens of thousands of women. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, I actually, um, doing some research on this, saw some like pictures that a uh, actually a Nazi uh, soldier who was like the liaison to the Chinese um, took. Um, basically, like they're they're pretty bad, like horrible things yeah. that happened to the women after the soldiers were done gang raping them. So it is a very very um, like brutal thing, but it's but it's true. I mean, based on a true story. Yeah, yeah. I think that that changes things a little bit. That if this was just a random fantasy novel, I would not want that to be in the novel. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that goes farther than what I would want for someone, something completely made up. Yeah, it is so brutal. For what happens after, though, I think it's important to know how bad it was for character development. Right. And things that then happen. If it wasn't portrayed as like literally this horrifying like life altering thing just knowing that it happened then yeah yeah it does follow would make it far less it helps you empathize with the main character Mm -hmm. uh to the point where you understand uh what she then does in order to uh to avenge it yeah Yeah. well and the historical um event that happened was so bad that to this day it affects Chinese Japanese relations 75 years later, or mm-hmm. I guess what more like almost was it 80, 37? Yeah, 80 years yeah. later, basically. Yeah, um, it still affects Chinese Japanese relations because and a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Japan doesn't really uh, like to admit that, the, that they did as bad of things as they did. And even like their last prime minister kind of said, Oh, it's exaggerated, you know, it wasn't really that bad, which is wild since yeah. there are photographs. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I saw some of those. I actually I looked at about three of them and was like, Well, that's enough of that looking yeah. at that, you know, I don't uh, get my kicks on looking at uh, torture things and they're it's pretty awful. Yeah. But um, anyways, I do. Um, I generally don't do this. But for just today, um, because of exa- you know, just how violent it is. I want to read something that Kuang herself wrote. Um, There's an off-made argument in genre fiction circles that sexual violence shouldn't be used as a plot point. 
It's regressive. It's demeaned to women. It's gratuitously violent, grotesque, and unnecessary because we don't need to see the violence to know that this was a historical truth. We know it well enough. Except we don't. The poppy war is centered around the 1937 rape of Nanjing. This also happens to be what I wrote my thesis on. I've spent over a year reading personal accounts of the bystanders, victims, and perpetrators. If there is one thing I've learned after months of research is that the West frankly does not care. The West has never done a good job of caring about sexual violence done to women who aren't white. I'm not interested in writing utopias. I don't like writing the alternate histories where gender equality is taken for granted. I love reading them. I understand why some like to write them, and I understand their importance. Let's be able to envision alternate futures for ourselves if we can shift from the present. But healing comes only after a stark analysis of the past. And as long as these women's stories are elided, disputed, ignored, and mocked, we can't heal. Uh, it goes on from there, but I don't really think it needs... I think that's kind of got the point down. Mm-hmm. But it is true that, you know, and this was a... Um, I mean, just in general, I think that that uh, not just, uh, like, you know, non-Western uh, women, you know, when it happens, but look at what happened to the Native Americans. I mean, yeah. you know, there's lots of grisly trophies that people did. So anyways, just these things happened. And I guess the what I've been trying to say is that when they happen in you know, covering something of a historical context, I feel like it is, it's appropriate for the novel mm-hmm. in a way that I wouldn't in almost any other true, just pure fantasy. Well, and she's absolutely right in that I was aware of the the Nanjing massacre, but I was not aware of uh, the details uh, until after I read this book. Yep. Um, and, and, having you know reading this and then seeing that this was a you know a fantasy reimagining of mm-hmm. that kind of made me go find that uh that hist- find that history again not unlike you know the three body problem and finding out about the cultural revolution uh this led me to go find out more yeah and and wow yeah that's it, yeah. that's crazy it's awful yeah. well and i also disagree that it shouldn't be included in historical type thing. Like it doesn't matter that we know what happened. Yeah. If it's treated the right way, not as like some kind of a almost fantasy scene within it, mm-hmm. then it makes perfect sense to have it in any sort of situation where that would be a reality. Okay. Like, I, see I don't what you're think saying. it needs to be overlooked. It just needs to not be like some of those real creepy horror movies where there's like a five minute rape scene. Oh, yeah, where it's basically like, just so that... Uh, yeah, it's just gratuitous. But yeah. there's nothing about that in here. And I don't... For the most part, when I read a fantasy novel that has something like that, it doesn't need to be gratuitous yeah. to get the point across that it's happening. Yep. So Okay. Alrighty. So I feel like that's kind of the uh, elephant in the room of this novel. But I feel I think <laughs> yeah. that it was something that I just wanted to get out there and that to really like to put in there because... I mean, I, this novel is extremely well written, and she—I think she does a great job of making it her own fantasy, you know, novel within you know even yeah. taking the historical things. But some part, parts of it, it's just hard to say that I really enjoyed it, you know, just because of you know that level. Yeah, of enjoy violence. isn't the right word. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. So, anyways, we'll get into talking more about that stuff later. So, Chris, you mentioned the first stuff. Like forty percent is where we get into. Uh, like the real character development and like the inner yeah. the interpersonal um, 
relationships of the characters who are going yeah. to to um, of, inha- of she and her peers. Yes, uh, she and her mentors. Yeah, uh, she and her sort of antagonists. Yeah, Katie, what did you think of that first part of the story? Then the first forty percent where they're just in college. Uh, I enjoyed it, and it really helped you get to know the characters because as they even move out of college, they a lot of them are still relevant. Yeah. Um, whether or not they're negative or positive toward the main character, they're still in there. Yeah. Um, the relationships still matter. Yeah. So, and it was nice to see kind of, even though she had gotten past, she got into the one school that she could actually go to because it's the only one, there was no tuition. And then she's like, well, crap. Now they say that not everybody even makes it past the first year. Yeah. And I thought it was a free ride from now on. <laughs> and so then you really see her learn that she has to continuously try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it's not just a free ticket. Yeah. Well, it is a free ticket to a lot of them, though. Um, but not to someone like Ren, who, as we said, um, the, the book blurb said that she was raised by smugglers. Um, mm-hmm. She was an orphan of the first poppy war or the second poppy war. Sorry. Um, and this was something where, where what happened was a lot of these orphans were given to random families. And just like I'm sure this actually happened a lot um, with uh, kids after even the American Civil War, they did, like they had a train that would take kids or orphans, you know. Um, mm-hmm. some, some kids found good homes, the parents that really just couldn't have a kid and loved them. And some kids, like Rin, found a family who was willing to take them in to exploit their labor. And that's basically yeah. like what her family does. So, uh, and, and even though they are, they probably could have actually afforded the family that took care of her to help her out, but they just chose not to. Yeah. And then, you know, it is kind of a little bit like tropey where we have the whole like poor girl that, you know, is going to have the, the rich kids who hate her type of a thing. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the story was done so well that it didn't, uh, that, that, you know, I mean, so there's certain tropes in fantasy that are tropes because they work, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so... And it did. There, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of playful dialogue that kind of helped separate it from yeah. some, of the, some of the other uh, yeah. things that use that trope. Yeah, and you know the one thing that I actually kind of uh, I don't like as much because I felt like later on there is a big cast of characters which I liked in mm-hmm. the beginning that first forty percent, but some but some of them I feel like were thrown in there to further the plot point later, like not like that. Um, maybe I'm trying to think of the the girl who um, is supposed to be really good too, like as good as her almost, but then gets like trapped in the city and just ends up being oh, raped. Oh, yeah, I can't remember. She's, she's the one that went to um, and did the military, though. I think, like, the the combat is her main. Yeah. Yeah. But I felt like she was kind of a throwaway character. Um, well, and there's a few I, here and there like that. I think that. She, she introduces a lot of characters uh, early on almost so that she doesn't have to add new characters later. Yeah. Right? Almost yep. so that so that the people at this place can kind of move on and be a character that you already know rather than continuing to add characters later in the story. Yeah. And well, that it makes things more meaningful when even if they didn't get along, she knew this person. Yeah. Than just talking to someone random. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see that. And you know what's funny is is now that like you say that, and this is why I love doing this like actual like having a discussion is that is true. I have complained occasionally when I'm like, well, how did this main character come into the book 40% into the novel? Mm -hmm. And so maybe, you know, that's something I didn't even think about. Like, yeah, 
Because some of them I was like, man, I felt like they got a lot of airtime for what happens to them, like the way they go out, you know? Yeah. And so maybe that's just uh, me being nitpicky one way and then the other. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, but um, so I guess just some of the other characters real quick. Uh, It's Kite or Kite. Um, you know, Kite. I can. I had. I listened to part of the audiobook, but it was a while ago. I know. And then is it? The, this is the one I can't remember. Naja. 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 Yeah. So Kite is basically her best friend, her only real good friend. There. Yeah. He is like the f- son of the war minister or something like that. So he's very rich and very important, but he is also. Katie? He's he's really smart and he he doesn't really fit in with the other rich kids he grew up around. So he kind of befriends her because she also isn't really getting along with them. He's like Sheldon level intelligence, but then also <laughs> instead of being just a nerd, he's physically uh, strong as well. And then uh, Naja is the son of the most important of the warlords of the 12 warlords. Um, he's just a jerk yeah. for the first uh, 40% of the novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's he's like an egotistical show off, basically. So to other people, he isn't necessarily a jerk as long as they admire him. Kowtow to him, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and I did the same thing as Katie. I listened to the audiobook for ten percent, and then I was like, "Man, I have no. This is way too involved for me to listen to the audiobook." And then I just stopped and read the physical copy that we'd been sent. Mm-hmm. because I was just like, I can't. I can't oh, follow this. I didn't have a problem with that. I just don't like to listen to the audiobook when I'm at home. Ah. So I kept going back and forth. Yeah. Um, magic system. Anybody else want to talk about that real quick? <laughs> Were you going to talk? You missed the Alton part. Oh, right sorry. Now? Yeah, yeah, the Alton other... Is kind of an Alton one. is kind of an important character. <laughs> yes, Alton is the other um, like real important person to, um, to Rin as the novel goes on. He, in this early, the first 40% part, he's the mysterious uh, person who every time she sees him, she's flummoxed by him. Like he's really attractive and he's like the best student that the university's ever had. Yeah, he's the like, most capable fighter. He yeah. just crushes. Yeah, he's uh, like the boogeyman almost. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a legend, even though he's still there, you know, yeah. to the kids. A legend in his own time. Yeah, and he is what is called a spearly. They were a group of people who were lived on an island off the coast that were wiped out in the second Poppy War. Mm-hmm. And they were rumored to have been like shamans to the phoenix, that fire god that Chris mentioned in the mm-hmm. book blurb. I wasn't exactly sure, but if you look at the map and kind of have the feel for kind of the mainland that uh, everything takes place on, and then the Mugen uh, island across that narrow sea... This is an island south of that, which, if you look at an actual map, is maybe Taiwan. I thought it was Okinawa. Oh, really? I could That's be wrong. Part of okay. Japan. It is part of Japan, but Okinawa had, was a separate island until not too long before. Like it's, uh, and they're ethnically diver- not the same as the Chinese. Oh, okay. I mean, sorry, as the Japanese. I could be totally wrong and just. I mean, yeah, I'm not. No, I'm right. I don't know either. I'm right on the history. <laughs> I could just yeah, be wrong yeah. on the. The actual the geography, the geography and which one of, she intended. Yeah, because be, it could have been if, Taiwan. If any at all. Yeah, maybe, mean. yeah. But uh, yeah, because the Okinawans were definitely considered second class citizens, like the native, the ethnic ones. Okay. Um, anyway, but that's what I thought. But I could be, like I said. Uh, okay. I never looked at a map. I just kind of thought of them as like Pacific Islanders. <laughs> oh, I got in general. Maybe. Hmm. maybe. I kind of thought of him as looking ethnically the same, but just darker skinned. He's way better than everybody else at fighting. Yeah. Um... 
anything else like with the cast of characters um the lore master is going to be like the he's somebody important but he's crazy like real crazy <laughs> at this point and everyone thinks he's a joke mm-hmm. and then uh june is the other big like the combat the combat mm-hmm. um, master yeah. and he really hates ren because she's poor yeah. and he just thinks that she he basically believes that the the richer or the you know the powerful and noble he's a classist yeah Yeah, he's a classist for sure um and then otherwise there's just like i said there's a ton of of secondary characters that Mm -hmm. at one point or another will get a little bit of play you know like dealing with at rin it's always by rin's um point of view yeah she's the uh she is the sole pov character right Mm -hmm. so um now let's get into Something I want to talk about that while it's still at school, but then that bothers me a little bit. And this is my one like actual legitimate. Oh, this is the one that you've been teasing. That my thing (laughs) that really bothered me is that, no, is that, and that will stop me from like it from, is that everybody acts like magic is completely just a a myth that only peasants believe in. Mm Mm-hmm. Until you, the combat starts, and I realize we're getting a little bit far into things here, but is that then their special unit is performing magical acts in public. I mean, one of them is a water elemental for God's sake at all times. <laughs> he, and he's at the mess hall. It's not, I mean, how you know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like there's enough magic being done by these people that, and around enough people that it shouldn't be like, it the, shouldn't be this mythical the, thing. Yes. In the. That's a fair point. That's my only, like, my, my one thing about this whole book. Otherwise, I think this is incredibly well written, and I like the plot points, everything, but I felt like that was contrived. That, like, well, I also don't think that that unit is generally out and about out and about with anyone else. It's just because they have to be at this point. Yeah, could it have been that um, it was crisis? I mean, because that, yeah, I mean, that, people didn't that even whole, know what they did. Yeah, they that they whole were troop were just, yeah, they thought yeah, but, they were assassins for but it was less than a, the queen. But... It was less than a generation ago. So Alton is 17, right? So And he was a, a young kid when the second Poppy War happened and the Spearleys were wiped out. Mm-hmm. He was old enough that he knew, that he remembered, you know, what happened. Yeah. That's, um, and so less than 20 years ago, you had your elite troops for the Chinese, or the Chinese, the... Uh, <laughs> um, what was it? The Nakara? The Nakara, yeah. So for the Empire are these magic, magical sh- fire shamans. I mean, they were the elite. But they did talk about how they couldn't really be in a normal unit. Because, because they were so crazy. Yeah. Mm. So it's not like they were also been, being given exposure. So it's still no. uh, like a rumor that, you know, the peasants believe. And I also think that there are some things that allude to the fact that the more elites are trying to suppress the knowledge in the fact that they each have their own like secretive things within their families. Yeah. I feel like that also might be part of, they don't want other people to know, like they have all their special combat things and stuff yeah. like that. Okay. That's an interesting train of thought too, yeah. because if you, if you encourage, uh, just the immense capabilities of the shamanic powers, yeah. then you might be, you know, you might be causing the next great massacre. So yeah. maybe there is an element of just suppression and, oh, don't worry about it. It doesn't exist. Hoping that eventually it wouldn't. No, yeah, I understand. That's how yeah. you keep your power. You can't have peasants yeah. running around 
burning people alive. Yeah. No, and I understand that, but I still think it should have been more out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I mean, especially at Synagogue, if the families would, it would have been like a wink and a nod type of things as opposed (laughs) to like, you're just a complete idiot for believing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I don't know. But that's even between the families. Let's say one family believes it. Three of them don't. In that group, nobody knows who might. So you're not going to allude to it because they'll think that you're an idiot. Yeah. And who knows? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, I'm just saying that like that was my one. No, that's an interesting point. Because I mean, it it really gets thrown out there once the real fighting starts, you know, like. Yeah, then it's just kind of like, okay, well, this. The, we were wrong. The main Chinese <laughs> army is fighting with the this unit, like out, you know what I'm saying, like out in the open. And anyway, then they're like really the only thing stopping the the Mugen Empire from or the republic, the Mugen Republic. No, they're an empire. Yeah, I don't remember the <clears throat> semantics of that. Anyway, Federation. Federation. That's what it is. The Mugen mm-hmm. Federation. Like I just thought of them as Japan and China in my mind the entire <laughs> yeah, time. So of. like it's hard to kind of sometimes go back. But anyways. It's hard but, for me to use Federation in anything but like Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to say, though, that I think that she could not have done a better job at making this historical event her own, though, with the way the storytelling she did. Yeah. Like it, I mean, I, it was always in the back of my mind that, that she's retelling a historical event, but it still was amazing to me. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very well done. She did mm-hmm. that first 40% was necessary to to make it her own, you know, and to give it her, like, to yeah. her own characters. And and to really make it her world. Yep. Uh, I mean, even though it is a reimagining of historical events, it kind of, it was something that made it... Yeah, her own. Her own, yeah. Yep. Um, so we've done a lot of, you know, saying how did we feel and all that kind of stuff already. But what do we need any more um, world building type stuff or stuff from the first part of the novel before we get into talking about that kind of stuff? Do you think, or what do we? Um, do we want to at least uh, re bring up because I think it's mentioned on the jacket uh, that uh, the power is derived from psychedelics? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, she, I thought uh, I thought she did a great job of kind of uh, describing a psychedelic trip uh, from <clears throat> from what I understand those <laughs> to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I had ever done something uh, like that, yeah. you know, or you had. It's, yeah, if uh, it's almost I feel like maybe she has uh, she has experience with uh, <laughs> maybe. Know, maybe psilocybin mushrooms, <laughs> maybe. Because it was very well written. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, I, that put me, it put me right in, into that home. right into that mindset. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, if that, I, that if, I'm not familiar with yes. at all. <laughs> I mean, if I had had an experience like that, I had a great time, but I didn't go quite so, uh, I, I don't think I went quite far enough for that kind of a experience. <laughs> yeah. <but> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is something that's funny too, because, like the uh, and it and it kind of depended too on what one what drug you needed to do like a little bit yeah. to which god that you um, yeah. were trying to commune with, or how much help you needed? How much help you needed? Yeah, because there is one character who won't need any help. Mm-hmm. Bran, you got to be quiet. And we've ended the end of our good. At least we got thirty <laughs> some minutes in. Yeah. Okay. 
So in the recommendation phase, the whole, did we like it? Would recommend to others? All that kind of stuff. So Chris, what did you think? I really enjoyed it. The, uh, <clears throat> the world that's created is, uh, is it's very, uh, detailed and, and, uh, vivid. Um, there's, uh, quite a bit of kind of scene setting with the, you know, the foliage and the, the buildings and, and it really put me in a place where I knew, uh, I knew the scene very well. There were quite a few mentions of mimosa trees, which is, which is why we're drinking mimosas <laughs> at this very moment. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, yeah, that's she, that city, like Synagogue. Oh man, mm-hmm. I really could envision it. Yeah. yeah, it was great job. And then the, I mean, the dialogue was smooth and comfortable and uh, uh, creative and witty, and I just this was. This was one of those books where I would sit down to read and think, okay, I'll read a chapter. And two chapters later, I'm thinking, how long have I been sitting here? Because <laughs> yeah. it was just very easy to get lost in. Oh, yeah. I'm, I was going to, well, I started with the audiobook. And like I said, I was about 10% in and I, I was just having a r- real big struggle. So I was like, I'm going to just like sit down and read. And I only had a physical copy. And usually I, dislike that and all of a sudden i think katie had to work late that night all of a sudden i go i I get home from work at like two i read till five so it's time to get bran (laughs) and then i get bran and then all of a sudden it's nighttime and i'm still reading this book and i was like huh wonder where this evening went to you know like it (laughs) just it was that like i stayed in that whole movie in my mind for so long yeah basically until chapter 21 and things got uncomfortable (laughs) yeah yeah, the the character interaction was great. the The mentor mentee relationship yep. was fantastic. Uh, I I got a kind of a like drunken master vibe. I don't know if you ever saw that Jackie uh-uh. Chan no. m- movies. Actually, I think there were a few, but it kind of has a quirky uh, quirky master making him do weird things as training that he maybe wasn't sure oh. why it oh, yeah. was that almost a you know like Karate Kid or a, what's that Princess Mononoke. Mm-hmm. like a quirky mentor relationship. Katie, what did you think? Uh, I really enjoyed the book. I, as I said, I went back and forth between the audiobook and the physical novel, which I didn't have a problem keeping track. Sometimes on these, if I start in one, I have a harder time with the pronunciations and things, uh-huh. but this one just kind of made sense based on what it was. And therefore I was able to keep them straight that's where I have a hard time is, is this actually that character or am I pronouncing it wrong in my head? Um. <laughs> Brandon came out. He was being good and quiet for so long of this podcast. So I'm sure there's going to be some points where we're going to catch a, a little bit of Brandon here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just wants some cereal, dear. He yeah. just wants cereal right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I really enjoyed the book and the characters and yeah, it just, a little rough through a few parts, but it was really entertaining and yep. interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I isn't this crazy that she's 22 years old and it had to have been like in their 20s, like 20-ish range when she started writing this? I mean, that's just... Yeah. Like, that's amazing. I mean, she has got some talent and I can't wait to see where that goes in the future. You know, there's... Um, I, I have read that book two is complete. Oh, awesome. Um, and ready to go. And we'll see... I think, I can't remember if when I was listening to that interview of her, she was like, oh, we'll see how book three goes, like in terms of with grad school. But um, 
<laughs> She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a, a full-length novel still while doing grad school. Yeah, so this is a novel that I think we did a pretty good job of uh, letting you guys know exactly what you're getting into right off the bat with this podcast. And mm. once you know that, if you know what you're getting into, then, um, man, it's it's a wild ride. And I almost feel like this is the kind of like one of those fantasy novels that you should read. Like that if you like fantasy, I feel like this is um, has that social commentary like the same way like Jemison does or... Um, mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say when I was reading a review, they said like Gaiman with his snow crash, but I dislike it or not Gaiman, but who <laughs> Stevenson. Yeah. Stevenson. Even anyways, but I don't like that. So I'm not going <laughs> to use it anyways, but like Jemison level, uh, social commentary, you know? Yeah. And, um, she's doing more than just telling a fantasy story. She's trying to get a message out there with it too, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. you're not going to like that, but maybe you do. And I, yeah. it hit me and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was uh, it was enlightening um, in a way that made me want to seek out uh, the information that it was based on. Um, so I did go out and read Wikipedia pages and found uh, yep. there's a podcast called the Chinese History Podcast that had a few episodes about it. And I mean, I'll probably go back and listen to that series and just learn more about China in general. Yeah. Uh, would you recommend it to other people? Yes, with the caveat of yeah, there's yeah. there's some difficult moments yeah. in it. Um, I kind of I think that what I'll do is tell people it's like Schindler's List. <laughs> it's uh, an amazing novel, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's not uh, comfortable. Yeah, to read. It's not always pleasant, but it's good. Yes, <laughs> that is are. a great way of putting it. Yeah, um, ratings. I'll give it five stars. Yep, but I loved it. Yeah, I'd say so. I can't think of anything to drop it down from that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to give it a five star as well. Um, as I said, like, I, like this is the writing is a, just amazing. Uh, the story, even if it's uncomfortable, is still just well done. But I think that, like I said, the one thing that whole like magic for some reason that just bothered me <laughs> enough that it's going to stop it from being on my like favorite books list, though. You know, because of that. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Anyways. This was in my mind far too often the whole time, you know, while I was reading. Anyways, so um, five stars all around. Um, obviously, we've said this is rated R with NC-17 scenes. I really like that, uh, doing that. In fact, I was just, I finally edited, uh, and I'll put it out as soon as we're done here, The uh, from Unseen Fire. Yeah. And that was the first time you gave it a rating, like a PG-13, I think is what oh, you said. Really? So I was like, oh, that's a good way to go. <laughs> um any final thoughts no i i don't know i guess it's not really a thought but more just uh if were i given the opportunity to ask rebecca about this book i'd be interested in uh how cathartic writing this was um because there is an element of revenge for something that maybe there wasn't revenge for yeah historically yeah mm-hmm. yeah and um yeah, I'm looking forward to the final or to the final to the second book. Yeah, definitely. When it comes uh, out, I will absolutely be reading that as yep, soon as it me is too. available. Yep. All right. Thank you guys. It's Katie, Chris, thank you for both being on. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'm just laying on a couch, so it's not <laughs> I'm not <laughs> trying. <laughs> All right. And, thank you. And this episode of Nerdbook Review was brought to you by Cooks <laughs> and Fresh Orange. <laughs>
or whatever brand name that is. I believe it's Simply Orange. Oh. Simply Orange. There we are. Yes. Simply Orange. Cooks. And Cooks. The big bottle. <laughs> the big bottle. <laughs> cooks, when you're going for quantity, not quality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that won't get us a sponsor.